0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: And thank the Lord. He is doing great things. You may be seated this morning. If you would join me this morning in the book of Matthew. Chapter 25, and we'll read one verse of scripture to start. Matthew 25 and 13. And we will stay in the series that we are currently in Hope for the Last Days. How many know we're in the last days? Matthew 25 and 13. If you have it, would you say amen? The Bible says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And so God is gathering his church for his soon return. He's not waiting to gather his church. But he's gathering his church now. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what we must be doing, and that is staying ready for the soon return of the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind this morning, none whatsoever, that we are in the will of God in what we are covering this quarter. The series Hope for the Last Days is certainly not uh anything new i believe that we entered the last days as soon as jesus died and rose again we're in the last days but whoever thought that we would be in the year 2020? 2020 2020 so hope for the last days it's not a coincidence that this is our focus as we're entering into this year i believe And I'm not going to speak prophetically this morning, but I believe that we are in the waning hours of when God is going to come back for his church. And so consequently and congruently along with this, there's no doubt in my mind that there is divine purpose in what we are doing. 2020 Vision is not some marketing campaign. It's not a catchy phrase that someone thought would be cute because we're in the year twenty twenty and we all want twenty twenty vision. We don't want to have to wear glasses and things of that nature. It's not some marketing campaign. It's not it it's not for the matter of convenience, but there is purpose and I believe divine order in what we are doing in all of this. And here's the reason. And you can agree or disagree. But for the next few moments when I'm talking about this, I have the microphone, so I'm right. The biggest battle that the 21st century church will face is the battle against complacency and sleep. We're not being made fun of as much as we used to about being holy rollers and lifting our hands and praying out loud and having shout-down services. There's all denominations of people that are doing that. And so we're not fighting against that. But what we are fighting against is our own ability to be complacent and to fall asleep. Combating this has certainly been a reoccurring role in my life, in my short time walking with the Lord for sure. But I believe that now more than ever there is a divine reason and a purpose for what we're doing. Everyone that begins with God. At the start, they've got that first love. They've got fire underneath them. There is a sense of urgency and there is a sense of divine purpose in their lives to do what God has called them to do. But as time marches on, let's just be honest with each other. With most, certainly not all, but with most comes the potential to slack off or to become less motivated. You can agree or disagree, but it's a fact. There's reason for this. In particular, across our globe, this morning, last night, and tomorrow, there's going to be military components that are going to be training and organizing and doing everything they can to be prepared. These forces are designed to do one thing, and that is to be ready at a moment's notice. They are to be ready to be called on to go anywhere at any time and to do whatever is necessary to complete their mission. Now, certain organizations come to mind, such as the Navy SEALs or Army Special Forces, and there are a myriad of forces within military commands across this globe. But they are elite fighting forces made up of teams of men who are hand-selected. They are battle-tested. And they are expertly trained to face any sort of situation at any time. Whether the sea, whether in the land, or in the air, these teams are comprised of highly capable operators who are ready to be called on in the blink of an eye. But they don't do that by hanging out and playing video games. They don't accomplish this by sitting around and eating donuts and drinking sodas. That's not how they do it. Their teams are accomplished because they are prepared at all times. This is how they prepare. They prepare by reading and studying their doctrines concerning warfare. They study their enemies and the components of their enemies and their enemies' tactics. They study regions and terrains and how to maneuver differing obstacles. And they study physically by putting this into real world scenarios. They physically condition themselves to be able to take on any order that is presented to them at any time, anywhere, anything. They are prepared. And they are prepared for a reason. We right now are depending on these men and these women who are prepared to go anywhere at any time. And so with that, we read Matthew 25. It is the end of a dissertation. It is the end or the middle, I should say, of a conversation. And probably one of the most widely known parables in Scripture concerning being prepared is that of the parable of the ten virgins. Jesus, in, con- in considering the question and considering his answer, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Said, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins in Matthew 25 and 1. He said, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy the bridegroom came, and they were they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not in what we just read. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And so the point, the main point of the parable of the ten virgins is that preparedness, preparation, and readiness are required to gain entry into God's promises. The necessity... To stay ready is seen in a variety of texts, and so let's look at some of those. Of course, Matthew 25, 13, we read. Matthew 24 and 36, just ahead of that, Jesus said, But of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Again, in verse 44, he said, Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Paul said in First Thessalonians 5 and 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so watchfulness and being prepared is a theme of the entire New Testament. Specifically this morning, let's take some time and look at one of those particular scriptures. It was certainly a theme that the apostle Peter adapted in his own writings, in his own work. 2 Peter three, ten through 14. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the day, the coming of the day of the Lord, of of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore beloved, seeing that you look for such things. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And so like Jesus, Paul, and John, Peter described this occurrence as a thief. In each case where the thief imagery is used, the focus is on the surprise element because not everyone will be ready. And although the coming of the Lord is certain, the time of his coming cannot be calculated, Second Peter 3 and 8. And so how are we to be ready? How are we to be what God has called us to be in order to be ready? It's common in the epistles to find discussions of the coming of the Lord linked to encouragement to live in a way that honors him. And so, how should we be ready? We should live our lives according to the word of the Lord and live in a way that honors Him. Peter developed that theme, urging his readers to holy conduct, godliness, and diligence in the pursuit of peace and purity. Since all that we presently know will vanish. Since all that we presently know will be replaced by eternal things, Peter is saying that it is wise to adapt and to adopt eternal values now in the preparation for the things to come. We can't wait until eternity starts to start living like we're living in eternity. We've got to start living now like eternity is already here so that we can be ready for that awesome event. In the view of the certainty of his coming and the judgment that will come on those who have rebelled against God, believers ought to be holy in conduct and in godliness. You see, as much as of the Western world that we live in today has, has just over the past two centuries rejected the belief that there's any purpose or divine purpose for that matter to life. In that human history is headed to a meaningful conclusion. They, they say that this isn't so, that there is no meaningful conclusion to life and there is no divine purpose for life. And because of this way of thinking, hope has given a way to hedonism, apathy, and despair. And so if in this life... If this is all there is, if all we have is in this life, and if death really is the end, then we ought to do what Ecclesiastes 8 and 15, the preacher said you ought to just eat, drink, and be merry. If this is all there is, and if Christ is not coming again, well, then there's nothing to look forward to. But I stand here today with the Apostle Paul who spoke directly to this type of thinking in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He said in verse 19 If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of men most miserable. But in verse 20 he said, but now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. And so we're standing on the foundation today that Jesus did raise from the dead. We're not going after some, some fairy tale or some falsehood here, but Jesus did in fact raise for the dead and when he raised from the dead, that gave us hope that we too will raise from the dead or we will rise to meet him in the air when he returns. And so the admonishment here is to live holy and to live separated Not just from the world, but to live separated unto him in order to make that a reality. And so holy conduct has more to do with what, it has more to do than with what you say or what you believe or what you might understand or know, but holy conduct has to do with a lifestyle that is separated unto God and from all that is unlike him. Peter specified that kind of conduct, and I won't read it all, but if you want to take some notes, you certainly, you would certainly be in, in good standing if you would do that with God. Peter specified the conduct that would be considered holy in 1 Peter 1, 1, 13 through 25, 1 Peter 2 and 1, and then again 11 through 20, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 17, and then again in First Peter chapter 4 throughout the chapter. But it was in his second epistle that he certainly and he resolutely described what holiness is not in 2 Peter 2, 10 through 19. Again, I won't read it all. But in his first letter he told us what holiness is, but he didn't leave it there. He told us what holiness is not. And over and over, Peter uses the word godliness. It is a favorite of his. You see, Greek philosophers used the word in the first century, but Peter used it and invested it with a new meaning. He said in a Christian sense, godliness is expressed by practical Christianity, which is a life that expresses anticipation of Christ's soon return. 2 Peter 3 and 12 is one of the only two references in Scripture to the day of God. And contextually, the day of God that he makes mention of is closely allied with the day of the Lord. It may be that the day of God refers more specifically to the final cataclysmic events clustered at the conclusion of the day of the Lord and introducing eternity as well as referring to eternity itself. And so believers should always be looking for the day of God. Our goal is to live with Him for eternity. We are to live in such a way that we are ready for eternity. This doesn't necessarily mean that we should look at it as the next eschatological event. The next event is certainly the catching away of the church. Stay with me now. But since believers recognize that the catching away of the church will be followed by the day of the Lord, which will then be followed by the day of God, they are, in a sense, looking for the day of God, the end of everything through the lens of the rapture. And as we look and as we anticipate the rapture, we are, in a sense, looking for and anticipating all the events that will follow the rapture. And so let me just pause here and take a moment, and I'm probably going to get messed up here and probably not be able to finish, but hopefully not. All of that said, there's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of opinion about the sequence of events that will usher in the end, the eternity that we will enter into. Is that okay? You going to stay with me? And so because of this, it is only meaningful that we look at it this way. It is only meaningful if we look at it as the rapture or the catching away of the church is imminent, meaning the doctrine of imminence, meaning that as far as we know The rapture could occur at any moment. I'm not trying to figure this all out to see how long I can live a certain way or do a certain thing. I'm not trying to see when the train is leaving 30 minutes from now or an hour from now. I'm not looking at my itinerary. I'm already in the station. If the train pulls up, I want to be ready to walk on it and get out of here. And so something very interesting to note in Second Peter verse Second Peter three and verse twelve. The King James Version reads Hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Can we put that back up there for just a minute? Second Peter three and twelve. We read it earlier. He said, Hastening, hastening unto the coming of the day of God. However, the New King James Version reads, Hastening the coming of the day of God. And so the King James Version indicates believers should eagerly await the day of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's something interesting to note. Other translations indicate that believers can actually do something to bring it closer. Now, hang on a minute. Now, I'm not interested. I'm not entering into some new doctrine or anything like that. Just give me some a little bit of liberty here. Since the rapture of the church must occur before the day of God, we understand that we are going to be raptured out, and then we are going to have a millennial reign, wherein God is going to reign on earth. We are going to reign with, with Him as kings and priests, and then there will be a white, growth, a great white throne of judgment. We understand that, correct? So since the rapture of the church must occur before all of these things come to pass, these translations would indicate that there is something believers can do to hasten the rapture. This is not some new doctrine. This is just food for thought. And so perhaps with this, we can gain some insight from Paul. He made reference in Romans and used the phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, we might not understand fully what that means, and so we can take a little bit of comfort in that, because even Peter himself said that some things that Paul wrote are just simply too hard to understand. Okay? Romans eleven twenty five 25 through 26. Paul said, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so it may be conceivable that anything done to contribute to the fullness of the Gentiles May very well hasten the rapture of the church, which occurs after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and after all Israel is saved. Let me say it like this. What if we just did what Brother Toby just said, and we just doubled this thing over the next few years? What if we just got more energetic, and what if we just got more enthralled into the fulfillment of the great commission that God gave to his people? Would that, in fact, hasten in the rapture of the church? Now, God only knows the fullness of the Gentiles and what this all encompassing means. But hear me today. We are in the last days, and we, I believe, right now are experiencing the fullness of the Gentiles. Just last night, while I was studying on this, I was reminded of something that happened about five years ago with Brother Lee Stone King. Lee Stone King, if you don't know him, is a worldwide evangelist. And about 15 or so years ago, he was standing in an airport in Sydney, Australia and died of a heart attack. He died. He was gone from this world. He had been gone for a long time but God raised him miraculously from the dead and five years ago he was asked to come to the United Nations and stand behind a podium and give that testimony but he didn't just say that I, de- I was dead and I rose again but he said the man that rose that raised me from the dead his name is Jesus and he will raise you from the dead and he will help you and he will give you a miracle but he didn't stop there he said I present to you Jesus and he said my message to you your excellency all of these men all of these dignitaries that sat in front of him he said my message to you is the same message that Peter, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. That message... Did not stop at that podium, but that message was broadcast all over the world. And in 2016, they did a study, and within every five minutes to an hour, 256 people were viewing that message that he preached. I'm telling you right now that we are watching the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Amen. And so what if today we just go out into this world and preach the gospel to every creature? What if we just talk to every person that comes by us? Do you know him? I know him. I can introduce you to him. Would that be us fulfilling the great commission and the fullness of the Gentiles? So furthermore, the King James translation of 2 Peter 3 and 12 says, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat implies that the destruction of the present created realm will occur in the day of God. And so it seems as if Paul had in mind the same events as Peter, Isaiah, and John when he wrote in Romans 8 and 19 through 22. He said, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And so there is a distinction to be made between the condition of the present heaven and earth during the millennium and the whole new heaven and earth that will follow. Although there will be radical changes during that millennium because of the binding of Satan, it seems clear from Revelation 21 and 1 that the new heaven and new earth follow the great white throne of judgment, a judgment that will occur at the end of the millennium. This is where righteousness and true godliness will reside, the new heaven the new earth, which will be eternal and irreversible where sin has been vanquished forever and all those who dwell in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth are righteous. But just prior to this, to this introduction of a new heaven and new earth, the Bible says that all whose names were not written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. People categorized by being cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. And so because of this, because of the knowledge of this, and the certainty of his return, and the final judgment that will provoke specific events, that ought to provoke specific responses in us, It ought to make us like him and it ought to make us move with compassion and it ought to make us embrace holy, holy conduct and godliness and it ought to make us want to be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless and so as we focus on the certainty of all of these events. And as we understand the temporary nature of this present world coupled with the pursuit of a spotless and blameless life this is what produces peace with God and with other people of faith. And so with new other new testament warnings to be watchful Peter urged his readers hear me now to be diligent Not just knowing. Not just having a knowledge of. But to be diligent. Otherwise, at his return, those would not be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And so I close with this, but it's a long close. As students work through various levels education, they are required to write papers demonstrating increasing mastery of content. At first, it just might be book reports or perhaps book reviews, but by the time they reach college, students will be writing more lengthy term papers. In graduate school, and I had to get this from a book because I've never been there, just so you know. In graduate school, A thesis will probably be required as a final project before a student is granted a degree. Finally, a dissertation will be required to conclude a doctoral degree. This project must be defended before a team of scholars. Those who have not had this experience sometimes think of a dissertation as the big paper, but it's much more than a gigantic book report A book review, a term paper, or even a thesis. It is expected, hear me now, it is expected not only to demonstrate mastery of a specific field of study, but also to contribute original knowledge of that field through research. And so we use this this morning as an analogy to compare the idea of being ready for the Lord's soon return. The Christian life must reflect growth in grace, and it must reflect one's knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By means of another biblical analogy, we could use Hebrews 5 and 11 through 14 where we move from the development of first principles or milk to strong meat. This means that our readiness for the Lord's return depends not only on constant awareness of the fact that he could return at any moment as far as we know, but also on where we are in our relationship with him into comparison to where we should be. Let me say that again. Our readiness for the Lord's return is not merely relegated on a knowledge of his return, but it is relegated on a relationship with Him in comparison to where we are and where we should be. And so this requires honesty. This requires my own honesty. This doesn't mean that we've lived up to some spiritual ideal of full spiritual potential because no one knows what that is. It means that we have built our lives, on him, and on the foundation of who he is. It's upon his return that we don't need to just have a book report. We don't need to just have a book review, a term paper, or a thesis to hand to him. But I ought to be able to stand before him and hand him my life as a testament of my relationship to Him. And it should be built exclusively on the person of Jesus Christ, trusting in no one else or trusting in nothing else for salvation. And so, at that day, we should have developed a personal knowledge of Him Not just something that someone told us about him. To do what Paul instructed to do, to work out our own salvation with fear and Trembling and to study, to show thyself approved, a workman unto God, a man or a woman that doesn't need to be ashamed of what they know, being able to rightly divide the word of truth. So as we stand this morning, I conclude with this. An interesting thing, about the parable of the ten virgins is that all of them knew about the bridegroom. All ten of them had an awareness of what was supposed to happen in the end. They were to meet the bridegroom. They were not going into this blind. They had a knowledge of what was supposed to happen. However, a mental assent or a mere knowledge is not always enough. You see, they lack the necessary commodity needed to create the light, the light and the flame that was needed to light the way. It was to light the way as the wedding party marched in procession from the bride's house to the bridegroom's chamber. And so I submit some questions to you today. Could it be that they just simply thought that they would have time to procure the oil? And should that time come upon them unaware and quickly, that they could just borrow from those around them simply by being in proximity to the ones that possessed the necessary commodity? But because of that, the Bible says that they were counted foolish because the fool says in his heart where is God I have time I have time to work all of this out and to figure all of these things just right but hear me this type of thinking will cause you to be called unaware and unprepared because the simple fact of the matter is this We can't wait until it's too late to get what we need to enter in to the promises of God. we got to get it now. And I say to you, we don't need to leave this building until we get it. And we need to get it, and we need to keep it, and we need to study it, and we need to be diligent. Pastor just spoke the other night and said, you must be born again. I stand with him. I stand on the word of God. You must be born again of water and of spirit. And you must live separated from this world unto God, holy, acceptable, for this is our reasonable service. And so when he returns... When he comes home or when he comes to call me home and when he calls me home, I want to be found faithful. I don't want to just know about him, but I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And furthermore, I want him to know me. I want him to know my name because I want him to call me by name. How about you? Would you lift your hands real quick and would you just thank the Lord for his mercy and his grace and for his word? We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your sure promises, Lord, that are in you. Amen and yay. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. You're you're done. We thank you for what you're doing, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you're coming again. And we want to be ready. We want our minds and our hearts to be open, God, and receptive to your word. We want to be found faithful and diligent to be found in you, Lord, in peace without spot and blameless. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We have one announcement, February the 14th, our Sweetheart Banquet. Please don't forget, join us here for a great night together with our couples. And after church this afternoon, as soon as we conclude, Justin and Sarah need to meet with all the youth and their parents immediately following service. So please don't tarry. Have your young people available so that they can speak to them and give them some direction in Jesus' name. Let's shake hands. Let's be friendly. Let's be back here at 11 o'clock ready to have church in Jesus' name.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m.